Welcome to Let's Talk Shop, a podcast filled with business stories and practical advice for the product-based entrepreneur. My name is Therese and I help small business owners grow their wholesale. I hope that the stories and advice shared on this podcast will inspire action and help you build your business. You're listening to Season 2, Episode 1. My name is Yannick and I'm here to introduce this week's episode of Let's Talk Shop to you as Teresa's lost her voice but still wanted to make sure that the episode recorded last week still went live today. In this episode, Therese speaks to Leona Frift Ola from Indie Roller about how she built a successful jewellery business that was stocked in 240 retailers around the world. Leona shares all her top tips and her exciting Kickstarter campaign that is closing on the 31st of October. I will be back at the end to wrap this up and Therese really hopes that you enjoyed this episode and if you do, please remember to share where you're tuning in and to tag at small underscore business underscore collaborative and make sure to listen to the end as there will be a giveaway as well. Hello Leona, thank you so much for coming to Let's Talk Shop. Thank I'm you, so happy. Oh. Sorry. <laughs> thank you, Therese, for having me. This is so exciting. And I just want to start off and say congratulations because your Kickstarter is Kickstarter is now funded. Oh my days. Funded with eleven days to go. And yeah, I'm I'm absolutely over the moon. And you know, it's I guess I don't want to say, oh I, I didn't believe it was gonna happen because I put so much work into it leading up to it, like a 90-day visibility campaign and really working on my mindset and my self-belief to really step outside my comfort zone and go for it. So in a way, it was like I believed it could happen, but then when it actually did, I did have a little cry. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's completely normal. I almost cried. That's cute. (laughs) But then I cry for most things. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I'm so excited. So tell us a little bit more about what it is. For those who have not heard about it, tell us more. Yes. So I started Indie Roller in 2017 whilst I was running my subscription box business, Lucky Dip Club. And I was a new mum at the time. Um, I'd left London, but I'd lived for about 21 years. So I was feeling really a bit lost and a bit lonely on my indie biz journey. And it was at a time when I felt that I couldn't really be vulnerable on Instagram. And that was a place I was hanging out a lot. So I was kind of, I felt like this big disconnect between how I was being online and how I was feeling on the inside as the owner of the business. So I created Indie Roller to create a space to have honest conversations about how we, the business owners, feel behind the scenes and to really go to those taboo topics. Um, Now, I mean, 2019, those topics don't feel as taboo, um, but still, you know, I was building this big Facebook group. It has over 4,000 people in it. Um, And so I could really see these conversations coming up a lot, people feeling lost, people feeling stuck, people feeling overwhelmed, um, mindset, uh, kind of like people feeling like held back in some way. So, you know, I was like two years into starting Indie Roller and it was about the middle of this year. I just felt like I want to take this work that we're doing, which at the time was within a very small group and I want to open it up like the word accessible came to me and I just felt like it's important to me that this work is accessible to the larger indie community so really then slowly you know I, I started writing a book I started writing a course and it could have become lots of different things and you know, uh, quite a few of my um, subscription members run Kickstarters for their products, which I love. Like Kickstarter is such a great platform for innovation. And I so fun. Yeah, yeah. And I felt like, you know what? Like, I feel, I feel this is innovative. This is like, I, I, I could just see that all the membership groups that were starting for people that were at that place where they were ready to kind of um, invest in themselves on a monthly basis and 
I know that not everyone is at that stage because I've run a business for nearly two decades and hadn't invested <laughs> in myself. <laughs> so, um, so I was like, yeah, I'm going to take this to Kickstarter. Like maybe this can be a platform to give it real visibility so I can, you know, make it as accessible as possible. So yeah, that, <laughs> that's kind of what it's all been about. So, so great. I'm so excited for next year. So what will happen next year then? People will be in a Facebook group together and then you will have lives as you do with your Make It Happen group? Yeah. Or how, how will it work? Well, so the book that I've written, the Indie Roller Handbook, everyone, all of our pledges will be holding it in their hands by Christmas. And to me, that's a kind of like a small business Bible for companies of one who are looking for inspiration, they're looking for strategies, intel, stories. And so I kind of like, I've, the way I've written the book, it's based on kind of sharing secrets, busting myths, um, and telling the truth. And then also I have a mindset framework in there as well called the Rainbow Reframe to look, to go a bit deeper, like to take it, um, to as well as look at the practical stuff, to look at what we're feeling inside. So that book's going to go out. Everyone's going to have it before Christmas, you know, a nice little bit of light, festive reading. (laughs) (laughs) And um, And then next year, the course will go into everyone's inbox. Well, everyone who's pledged, it will go in their inboxes by mid-January and it's completely self-paced because here's the thing about Indie Roller and what I've learned, one of my biggest learnings over the past two decades is that working at our own pace, finding the rhythm of our own life and building a business that kind of fits into that rhythm, you know, the ebb and the flow of all the other responsibilities we have in our lives, our friends, our families, perhaps second jobs, you know, there's much these days. So the course is completely self-paced. And then I'm going to drop a monthly masterclass in everyone's inbox once a month that is going to discuss a key area of the book. But again, it's just that kind of, it's like a checking in with everyone and looking at something with a fresh perspective. There's like no pressure, no overwhelm, no keeping up with everyone, no say, but gently really clarifying our foundations to build these businesses. So that's what I feel is the crux of the Indie Roller Annual Membership. It's about laying a clearer foundation to bring your work into the world from a place of self-belief and self-care. And there's no timeline (laughs) for that, unfortunately. But we'll spend an entire year together really digging into it. I think that's so good that it's self-paced because I, you know, inevitably you have more time some weeks than others and you don't need that extra guilt of not keeping up. Oh, this is zero guilt, okay? There is, yeah, none of us need more self-shaming in our lives. (laughs) Um, So no, that's not what it's about. It's the opposite. It's empowering. It's inspiring. And it's 100% putting you, the business owner, at the center of your business. And really like um, just sharing ways to unhook from things like comparison and stuff that might be holding you back, you know, all that kind of mindset stuff. Brilliant. So when it how long do we have left so we, this is going to go out on the 28th when does the kickstarter close <gasps> guys if you're listening to this and you haven't pledged quick <laughs> <laughs> it ends at 5 a.m on thursday the 31st of october so yeah couple of days brilliant and i i I got a bit excited so we've done this a bit backwards but can you tell us a little bit more about your background what you did before you did indie roller um because that kind of leads on to what we're going to talk about next i think yeah absolutely well obviously this is um this podcast is all about wholesale and working with retailers and that was really a massive part of my first product-based business and i love talking about this area of business um so I first started selling my jewelry at Portobello Market and at the time in the early 2000s before social media it really was a place that 
buyers would come to, boutique owners, small business owners, um, the even high street retailers. So I had the opportunity to start wholesaling quite soon after starting my first business. And this really opened up a lot of opportunity for my business. You know, from like that kind of first stage of like, when you first see your stuff in a shop, it feels very validating. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, I made all this stuff in my spare room. And now someone (laughs) else who owns a really beautiful shop in London has put it but in a glass cabinet in their store. And it, I just remember the first time walking into a store and seeing my stuff in there. It was a very special moment. And it really built, started building that well of confidence inside, you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, the biz, it was called Lady Luck Rules Okay. Um, I ended up doing lots of trade shows. We had a wholesale website. I also employed a wholesale manager three years down the line. So it was a really vital revenue stream for my first business. And it's amazing that you, you know, if you are a maker and that's what you want to focus on, you can continue sitting in your spare bedroom and make things and someone else will go out and sell it because it's in shop. Absolutely. And for me, really, when I first started doing it and I was doing the market, selling my stuff to shops, um, you know, it was all about getting your stuff in magazines then. And I had a very teenage brand. So my products were being featured in things like Elle Girl and Teen Vogue um, and all that kind of, all those types of magazines and also street style magazines because street style was a real thing in the um, early noughties. So The Face, Sleaze Nation, Nylon. So it was really like going to the market week in, week out. It, it mm. was sometimes a bit of a slog, but I, it was also opening up all these opportunities with press and shops. And so with both, I felt it was about brand awareness. So although I had to make money from it because, you know, I had rent to pay. I also didn't really want to work in a bar anymore because that's what I yeah. was doing on the side, which was fine. because I quite enjoyed it. But, you know, um, I was really focused on, I did, well, not even, you know, I just loved making jewellery. Um, Mm. and seeing people buy it and enjoy wearing it. It was like nothing I'd ever experienced before. Um, I'd been working as a stylist uh, for a music magazine and also freelance. So I may have been making a lot of stuff, but working with (laughs) pop stars, they weren't like, they weren't really that, I don't want to say great, but they weren't that nice a lot of the time, actually. (laughs) They weren't like gushing over what I'd made, which is fine, whatever. (laughs) But, you know, it was such a different energy to take my stuff to a market and see someone want to buy it and wear it out of choice rather than (laughs) have a stylist put it on you. So so I, I really fell for that way of life pretty quickly um yeah and did those relationships come from just being at the market or did you also do lots of outreach because it was a little bit different in the early 90s than it is to now or the early noughties yeah it it was definitely um it was oh yes of course of course yeah and so now you know like with my uh my business lucky dip club although I didn't wholesale Um, I did a lot of other stuff and that was all outreach on um, Mm. DM through Instagram. Um, And the reason I didn't wholesale with Lucky Dip Club because it was about driving people to subscribe to the subscription. You know, this is all, it's strategic. It's like, you know, what do you want your customers to do? What is your goal for your business? So when I wholesale my first product business and I didn't have an audience and social media didn't exist, it was all about brand awareness, getting my stuff out there um, and also about having a revenue stream where I could sell in bulk which would obviously bring in money, but it would also drive my costs down. And that's something that Mm. I, I kind of, pinpointed that fairly early on like being able to buy my supplies in larger quantity and drive my price my my cost price down meant that would you know my net profit margin was greater so that 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 was quite visible at that time um and no I didn't do outreach apart from when I started going to trade shows so I would say then people would place orders at the show but 
um, I have like, I can go into further detail about how I would then, I was going to say hound them, but it wasn't quite hounding them. (laughs) (laughs) But you would follow up with them. I think that's really key because (laughs) a lot of people go to trade shows and they think, uh, you know, I guess we're all naive in a way and we'd rather just people come to us. So then you think, I've done the hard bit. Now I sit back and wait, no. but that's not quite the case. No. That's almost like when the hard work starts yeah. after the trade show. So what did you do then? Because Okay, so it, I mean, this was uh, a strategy that I learned over doing quite a few trade shows. I mean, the, they, I, they definitely cost more now, but I would say if you haven't done one yet, then... Um, there are definitely ways to win stands. Like I would always um, apply for a stand as a new designer and they would often come at a discount or I actually won a place at Who's Next in Paris one year. So we, oh, I did a lot of a lot of stands, um, uh, trade shows around Europe. Um, th- so this is what I kind of learned over the years. It was all about making contacts on the day. That's literally what my role was. Like I couldn't speak by the end of the day. My voice would be totally mm. gone. So whoever came past my stand, I would always do laps of the um, arena myself. I'd try to go to if they had catwalks or talks or whatever was going on. Like I would do in Berlin and Barcelona. And they were just really community-based like there'd be a lot of satellite events happening at bars and cafes and I would go to them all like I would just (laughs) work my participation in that event so I'd have a notebook and I would ask for someone's business card I'd staple it into the notebook and then you know I would do it in front of them but like as we were chatting I'd just be like you know chatting quite casually asking a few questions what are they enjoying um you know just trying to like as normal as possible as well like really make them comfortable as well so just like a bit of chit chat then asking a few questions about you know what they're there to buy what trends are they seeing and then when they've left the stand I would then write that all down on that bit of paper next to where I put the business card in because for me this was all about information gathering so important and you know if you get someone talking they like talking about what they do they're passionate about this business so you just have to kind of get in there with your questions and your chat yeah and then you have so much more afterwards they might remember you more because you were that person they had a really great conversation with. yeah absolutely and I think like It's not about like going in and straight away, just like going in for the hard sell with your own products. I think like Mm -hmm. building rapport is really important with professional relationships. Um, And so, you know, asking questions about them and then actively listening to what they have to say, because there is gold to be had in those conversations. You've literally paid that money to put yourself in the same room as some of the the leading buyers from around the world. So it's like, you know, sometimes people don't want to talk to you. Like, I'm not going to say who it was, but there used to be this buyer from a major chain store. (laughs) I would see her at every trade show. She just did not want to talk to me. And I would try every time. And she was brusque, shall we say. And then out 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 of nowhere, the third show I saw her at, she placed the biggest order with me. And you could have knocked me down with a feather. I felt like she just wasn't interested in me and she just hated what so it's like perseverance is really important (laughs) and not taking it personally as well because I think that buyers are people too like they could have had like an argument with their kid that morning their car could have broken down they could be under pressure from their boss because maybe a range isn't performing so it's like I think that when you always just like whatever someone else does like if they could be a journalist, they could be a buyer, they could be in one of those roles that makes us feel really nervous, but they are just a human being at the end of the day. Yeah. And I think that's all of what I wanted this podcast to be about a little bit. It's like breaking down those barriers because we as you know, if you're a product based business wanting to sell to wholesale, you put the buyers on a pedestal and you don't 
look at the human behind it yeah. it's so easy and then you end up having these awkward conversations and feeling very upset when no one gets back to you and stuff but it's you know we're all busy we're all business owners we have a lot of things going on yeah and I think you know building that rapport is really important and again it doesn't have a timeline it's like just because they don't buy from you one season doesn't mean they're not going to buy from you the next season like I remember Mm. when Topshop first saw my stuff this was years ago and I didn't really understand copyright and I'd done a range of Rolling Stones jewelry and they were like we Mm. really love what you're doing but if we were to buy this from you we would get sued (laughs) and then so that was like that was when I started designing my own stuff and didn't go down that road again and then you know a couple of seasons later they bought from me so I think that there's there's lots of reasons why someone can't buy from you and also like to be a bit flexible that's something that I've kind of learned over the years as well because like I don't know maybe you'll know more about this Therese but like the big buyers I guess they they have quite a structure of how they can buy and what the trends they're focusing on and what products they're doing and like they could like what you're doing but you don't quite fit but maybe if you're willing to conversation with them then you could work on something together yeah I think that you know especially now again I think that because of this whole thing of things being made in UK being imported being a bit more sustainable and being a bit more different is actually what they want now I think that having those conversations if you are able to give them something a little bit more similar to what they want but without those huge minimum quantities that they would have to commit to with a bigger make company or you know someone in the far east I think you can sell that as a big bonus that you can be more flexible yeah that's that's an absolutely fantastic point I think as a small business owner it's always about looking at what are our strengths not about thinking oh well I can't do this and I can't do that it's about thinking well I, I can offer this and I can do this I'm really like selling what your strengths are to the buyers because as well the easier you make it for them like the more likely you're <laughs> going to get the foot a foot in the door so I remember when I created my first starter pack of jewelry that came on a stand with all of the packaging it was totally retail ready and I think I did that it was like my fourth show in or something like that because what I picked up on is I had quite a large range and especially mm. um buyers from independent stores they would love what I was doing but they would have a lot of indecision around what to carry and so they'd be looking at everything and they'd be standing at my stand for ages and sometimes the indecision the the order could not come through because of that so from that I was like well maybe you know I do need to edit my collection down and maybe if I create a starter pack with the stand so literally especially for a small business owner they can just take it and place it somewhere yeah. straight <laughs> in the shop without any faff at all and that was a game changer for me you know I sold so many of those and they can visualize it you know yeah. they can see that stand on their till or on their table yeah. really easily And that's like most of the selling done for you. Yeah, absolutely. And then obviously you can brand that. So the first time I did it, it was just a shop bought kind of chrome stand that you could rotate it. And when it it went down so well, we actually had some custom made acrylic like perspex stands made Mm. with uh, the branding on the top that said Lady Luck Rules OK and our lipstick lightning bolt logo. Um, and then we had packaging made to fit on it. We made it really easy for people to um, to, re- to refill it as well. Like on our wholesale website, it was literally, you know, just a couple of buttons to press to get it You're filled brilliant. back up again. And we would, we would you know, actively go, contact people. How, you know, how's everything going? Um, do you need the, can we fill up the stand for you? So, you know, I think that in general, that, being proactive within your business, being like an active participant in what you're choosing to do, what you're choosing to go for. Like that doesn't, that's not just at the beginning. That's like throughout, you know, throughout running your business, being proactive 
will serve you well. Yeah, and it's such a different conversation if you are calling a buyer instead of saying, do you need a top up? Saying, how's your stand display looking? How's the stand, you know, your branded stand? Is it looking full? What is it yeah, looking like? Absolutely. Instead of like, do you need this? Yeah. Um, it's just, you know, most of them will glance over and have like a real quick look of whether it's full or not. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, building those relationships from the day you're at the trade show or if you're not doing a trade show, if you're choosing to, you know, um, do outreach and email line sheets and catalogs, send samples, you know, however you're choosing to go about it, it's still the same building that rapport I guess trade shows just mean you can do it in person and I feel that that there is connection that can be built when you're seeing the whites of someone's eyes (laughs) 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 but I understand that that is a large investment for your business and you might not feel that you want to do that you might want to do it online instead. And it's definitely possible. Like, you know what? There's so many ways to make it possible. But perseverance, rapport, building relationships, being flexible. You know, it's, it's the long game here. This is, this is a marathon. It's not a sprint. And it also depends on what size business that you want to build. If you, if you can make everything, you have no plan of hiring people to help you and you just want 10 stockists, then maybe a trade show is not necessarily the right option. Then you might want to look at other options to find those 10 people. Absolutely. Whatever it might be. Yeah. I think a lot of people that come like that I talk to they go do you have to do a trade show (laughs) and I think they can be great when you're ready and that's the right decision for your business but it's not always the case no absolutely and this is when it comes down to independent business is about individuality that's kind of the whole point of it that's why we're not working (laughs) for other people because it's your business like you're the boss you make the rules you decide what direction that you want to go in So this is when financial clarity is really important. How much money do you want to earn from your business? So like Indie Roller is all about building businesses from a place of profit and purpose. So like, why do you do what you do? And how much money do you want to earn? So like you say, you could pinpoint, well, I want to make X amount of money from wholesale. I think 10 stockists will do this for me. So start local. You know, most local towns or the local city to you we'll have one to a handful of small independent businesses or, you know, maybe it's a garden center. Maybe it's a, you know, there's so many different types of retailers you can sell to like museum shops, galleries, pop-ups. You know, I think again, it's about really um, letting your creativity flow for how you can visualize where your products can sell. Like where are your customers hanging out? Well, I know on a Saturday morning, they're going for brunch in our local cafe and in our local cafe they have artwork on the walls so you know you know you could approach them and put your artwork on the walls so there's so many ways that you can reach your target customer because that's kind of what this is all about yeah and even more now with instagram and social media to just be able to find them a little bit easier than when you started probably yeah it's a great bonus yeah absolutely and I think um I guess going to the market week in week out I mean I complained about it at the time I'm sure I did (laughs) but looking back now I can see that it gave me a framework and a consistency because I would go every Mm. week so I guess trying to bring that through to how you run your business is good I, I talk a little bit about workflows in the book actually And how, you know, that that might feel a bit corporate. But again, it's about building that rhythm of work that makes Mm. sense to you. So you're, I have a really difficult time with the word consistency, but actually showing up for yourself and your business in the way that makes sense to you, that honors the ebb and flow of your own life. Like that's how you build a business that gives you what you want it to give you. But it also needs time to develop as well so I think that that's something that you know the people that I work with it's it's difficult isn't it because we all want stuff straight away it's like um modern life isn't it like see it like it buy it like um I want to do this I want to do it now 
I want, I want all the results really quickly. And you know what? I get that. But actually, sometimes it's about settling into the journey and settling into the ride and going, right, this is what I'm doing now. And these are the steps I'm going to take. And then allowing it to unfold whilst being proactive, but also looking after yourself. Yeah. And giving yourself that, like, you have to, I think with wholesale, you really have to be persistent and consistent. If you spend just one day, you know, every three months contacting potential retailers, you might not get that much from it. You really need to have that consistency there to to make it happen for yourself in your business. I, I feel like what you choose to focus on as a small business owner will grow. Mm. So it's about being intentional. You know, th- this, is, this is a revenue stream uh, that I want to go for because I have the profit margin. Um, I can see my stuff in shops. I know where my customer will go to buy. And so really having that clarity of vision. And you know, you might not know all the answers. You, you might just feel, oh, I'm not sure if this is going to work, but I got an inkling. And sometimes I think that it's <laughs> running with those inklings and then bringing your creativity to it. You know, how can, I, how can I get through to this buyer? How can I put my stuff in front of them? How can I convince them that this is where my, cons- my customer shops? And I think being knowledgeable about the shops that you want to sell in is really important. Like the shops that I sold in the beginning, I would always know, like it was just a, just a small handful at the beginning in like um, London that I sold in. Mm. But I would get to know the owner of the store. I would know all of the other makers or I, I know what, what they were selling and I'd come up with ideas. I'd, I'd offer like, do you want some bespoke packaging or, you know what I mean? It was just all about a bit of generosity of spirit to get going actually. A bit of like, you know, offering stuff and seeing, seeing what people think. And just like, it's not about this is the right thing to do. It's about going mm-hmm. with those inklings that you have. That's great. One of my questions was going to be, how can an indie brand stand out? But I think pretty much you, you answered that in the terms of like being flexible and, you know, just putting the work in on getting to know the people running, you know, doing the buying. Yeah. And I guess like, it's kind of like going to a party. Like, am I just going to stand on the sidelines and kind of tap my toes and like dig a little bit (laughs) or like am I just gonna like step out of my comfort zone and go and do the worm in the middle of the dance floor (laughs) like you don't want to be doing that all the time but sometimes I feel like it's that moment of like oh balls I'm just gonna do it you know what I mean I'm I'm just gonna make this suggestion like I'm I'm just gonna see like do they I, I can do their window for them or maybe I can run a workshop for them on a Saturday afternoon or when is a quiet time for them do they do late night shopping and this is where starting off local I think is a really good um, strategy because if you're at the beginning of your wholesale journey um, doing things local to you means that you can really get to know the buyer and really understand what works in their shop and what doesn't work and then once you've done this with a small handful of places it's basically then about replicating it around around the UK around the world like whatever whatever it is that you want to do you know it's so starting locally and getting to know that person and really just putting yourself forward with ideas when you have them like obviously not being a pest like I hope to think I was never a pest but I was definitely (laughs) I was definitely (laughs) shall we say I think there is a big difference between pestering someone. Yeah. I mean, we all have had telesales people calling us every day, <laughs> you know, and actually trying to build a relationship with someone. Yeah. And, and also, you know, to know that the value that we have as a creative mm. business owner, the value that our products hold, they're unique to us. They're, they're probably made small batch. I don't think enough. I don't think small business owners make enough of that, actually. Like we're not Assos or Tesco you know Mm. so actually the majority of us will be making in limited edition small batch and that's what sells products you know when you know it as a consumer something's got a it's exclusive there's not many made you know you've got to get it now it's exciting Mm -hmm. you know that's what drives consumer behavior 
So I think it's about, yeah, again, focusing on your strengths as the small business owner and putting yourself out there, which I know sometimes isn't what people want to hear, but you don't have to do it all the time. But every now and again, stepping out of your comfort zone, because as we were saying before we started recording, that's where growth lies. Yeah, you have to step out of your comfort zone. You know, you can ch- still choose what, how much you share of your personal stuff, you know, in anything like social media and that sort of thing. It's still your choice how much you share, but you need to step out of that. And can I just go for it, I guess? Yeah, and I, I think that's like kind of how I end the book actually is all about trusting yourself and like understanding that you are in the driver's seat this is your business you make the decisions you call the shots if you want to wholesale to five people wholesale to five people if you want to see your products in shops around the world go for it like I mean we live in a global society now like the Mm. online world is an exciting place I, I still can't believe that I can do something in the spare room at home. Like this is me nearly two decades later, still sat in my spare room, <laughs> like like coming up with stuff in my head and putting it out into the world via the internet still excites me massively. Um, you know, I don't sit here all the time. Sometimes I just want to sit under the sofa and watch Netflix, but we're, we are all human. But, you know, to remember or to believe in yourself, okay, but remember why you started this business in the first place. Remember what your values are, what's important to you. You know, what is the work that you, you want to put out into the world? Why is it important, you know, that you get it out there? So it's about that kind of internal motivation to do your work. And it doesn't need to make sense to anyone else. It's got nothing to do with anyone else, actually. It's, it's really your story. And, you know, if you if you learn to communicate that on social media, that is how people also fall in love with what you're doing because they believe what you believe essentially. And, and buyers are no different. Like, (laughs) you know, it's that, you know, the brand values that their shop will have, you know, it's about aligning those values. And when you talk to them as well, tell them tell those stories around how you're bringing your work out because that's what's memorable for people is storytelling is a great way to um make what you do memorable yeah and if you can weave in how that connects with what they're doing too yeah you basically sold yourself in yeah absolutely so again being knowledgeable about the stores that you want to sell in. So I always had a top 10 stores Mm. that I wanted to sell to. So Colette sat at the top of that list for many years. And I remember, God, I can't remember her name, the bio. I'd see her everywhere. She would always be at all the trade shows. And she finally bought from me at Bread and Butter in Barcelona. And my heart was beating so hard when I was writing down I think I was shaking like literally couldn't hide it and then we went to Paris to deliver it by hand Uh, oh wow yeah oh you know what fuck it (laughs) (laughs) um and then you know uh I had a quite an opposite experience with another retailer that sat at the top of my list for a long time and I didn't end up selling to them because we couldn't quite work out the financials together and that didn't happen so you know you have to roll with it as well and I would say negotiation skills are important in knowing what your best outcome is and also knowing where your bottom line is as well yeah that must have been very hard to say actually this is not going to make any financial sense to one of your kind of top 10 yeah they and after after I sold to Colette this other retailer sat at the top of my list for a very long time and by the time I got into their office all of our products were handmade in our workshop so I kind of moved on from making enamel pins and enamel jewelry and we were working with wood so we were sanding it we're printing it varnishing it so it Mm. you know it was there was quite a production method to it so I was still wholesaling but you know I had a point at which I couldn't sell it less than a certain cost and that retailer wanted to push me below that and I just couldn't do it so I felt like 
toning it down was just the right thing for us to do at that point. So how many stockies did you have at the kind of peak of it? So at the peak, we had about 240 stockists. Um, That's quite a lot. Yes, I had a manager um, who worked full time in the, had a shop studio just off Brick Lane. Uh, yeah. And it's funny because it was a very financially successful time in my life when I turned 30. I bought my first property in London, but actually on the inside, um, I was very unhappy. Um, I was really at that point a manager and mm. I didn't really have anyone to talk to about it. Like everything was moving so fast. So we did a lot of events, we were wholesaling, the shop, we're having events at the shop all the time, uh, new collections coming out fairly frequently. Um, and I had an desi- uh, in-house designer as well at that time and also an illustrator working for me. So um, I lost my way with it a bit. Uh, you know, it, like I say, financially it was successful, but it got to the point where I just lost my way. And I ended up closing it down. And it's quite an interesting one because I do still look back on that with a bit of sadness, but also just, this is nearly, it's nearly 10 years ago now. Um, And, you know, I guess it happened and I've learned a hell of a lot from it. (laughs) Are you sad about not changing the way, what are you sad about? How, why are you feeling sad when you look back? If I could have, if I could have asked for help, I yeah. didn't ask for help because I didn't know who to ask. And if I asked for help, it would have, I would have been, uh, I would have felt like I'd have been admitting I had failed. Like that's how it felt to me at the time. Mm. It's not, it, you know what I mean? Actually asking for help would have been a brilliant thing to do. And like, basically when businesses scale, uh, the, yeah. these issues that I was going through, they, they could have been sorted. They really, yeah. really, really could have been sorted, but um, I couldn't see it at the time. So, you know, that's fine. And like what I went on to do after that is when I, I toured the UK giving talks about running a small business um, and holding workshops, sharing the production methods that we'd created to make our products and actually having that freedom to travel around the UK at the time was just a real tonic. And to sit in a room with um, dozens of people that I'd never met before, I enjoyed immensely. So for my mental and emotional health at the time, it was great. Um, yeah. But maybe I could have done it a different way, but I didn't. So it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> it's so common it comes to a stage in a lot of businesses doesn't it where either you fall out of love with your business because you're not being a you're not giving yourself the time to be creative or you know you you kind of take a step back and see what am I enjoying the most and then you become the creative person again in your business for example and hire someone to manage people yeah absolutely absolutely I couldn't see the wood for the trees and you know also I guess on a slightly personal level I was running it with my boyfriend who I was splitting up with at the time oh that's hard yeah yeah (laughs) so um and it did very much feel like um although I was the face of the business he was very instrumental in a lot of stuff that happened um Mm. and we still work together now so (laughs) (laughs) he just built my indie roller website um oh that's brilliant yeah yeah, we're we're really good friends so it's all good but um at that point it was really it was all a bit and I think that is like a big learning about uh, in independent businesses is that they're a huge part of our lives and they are emotional and what we invest in them is so much and I and I feel like we, well, I know for me at that time that I didn't even really consider myself as the most integral part of that business. In fact, I was like at the bottom of the pile. And so like that is something that now as a business owner, I put myself at the center of the business. So I, you know, self-compassion, self-care, mm-hmm. you know, I, I have boundaries. I take time off you know, and I'm much more, I see myself more visibly within the business, whereas I didn't before. So for me, that was my biggest transformation over the years, is that, you know, my happiness, my joy, my values 
are just an integral part of the business that I run. Yeah. And I guess that's so, we're so much more, um, it's so much more acceptable now in a way, because we're so much more educated about self-care and mindset now than we were back. 10 15 years ago yeah I didn't even know what the word self-care meant and I actually only just heard I only just found out about the word mindset about two years ago. <laughs> <laughs> so this is all really new to me and um and I guess that's you know that's the journey I'm on with Indie Roller because I'm still seeing a lot of business owners a lot of small business owners out there feeling overwhelmed uh not looking after themselves um putting themselves under so much pressure um mm. and so for me it is about like i feel on a mission with this because i've lived this life in two decades like independent business is so important to me especially with the economic climate at the moment like i feel we just have such a vibrancy to offer the uk you know mm. um so it feels good to be here and now and to understand that when you, you know, like the famous Steve Jobs quote, to look back from, we can all look back and connect the dots. Like I look back now and I, and I understand what's happened and I'm here now because of what's happened. So, you know, that kind of makes it all feel like it makes sense. But I know as a small business owner, when you're in the middle of it all happening, sometimes it can feel like it doesn't make sense and you feel like you don't know what you're doing and you feel like you're making up as you go along, which is a good thing, by the way. Um, so I, yeah, that's just given me my true purpose in why I run the business that I do. That's great. And, and what do you think if a small business is listening that isn't selling to shops, what do you think they need to consider before they take that step? to start approaching retailers yeah so you have a have an absolute complete understanding of your net profit margin um mm. your net profit and your profit margin so you know i speak to my clients a lot about this i feel like revenue is a bit of a glory figure and mm. there's a bit of an internet trend towards people wanting to run six-figure businesses but actually, uh, I, I don't I resonate, it doesn't resonate with me at all. But actually, it doesn't mean anything because no. you can have a six-figure business, but you could be making no profit. Yeah. Um, so all we're interested in is the pence that's left on the pound after everything has been taken, all your outgoings, your cost of sales, your tax, your VAT, everything. So to be really money mindset kind of based, really, you know, financial clarity is everything it's one of the foundations that your business is built on so mm. don't go into wholesale until you know exactly what all your costs are because then you can make decisions from a place of power because you know a place of knowledge yeah and it makes you talk to especially if you're talking to a larger retailer that will expect even higher margins it makes you sound like you actually know your stuff yeah absolutely when you know the range of uh markup that you can work within then yeah and it, it doesn't you know here's the thing i was never good at maths at school so i was someone that at the beginning of my business i was just like oh god i hate numbers so mm. I've made it a priority in my business to focus on them. So whatever you think you're not good at, make that a priority. Teach yourself. You know, there's so much on the internet now, um, so many good resources, so many tools that you can, you know, in, it better your skills with. And I think that really having financial clarity around your business will serve you well, full stop, but also when you make that move into wholesale, knowing your numbers is a, a great place to come from because then, yeah, you can set your minimum order. You can set the point at which you'll offer free shipping. You can, you know, all those kind of incentives and those mm. kind of sales drivers, you'll be cre creating those prices from a place of knowing what you can afford to do. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, really good advice i think that's so important and it's so confidence boosting just getting really clear on your numbers oh my god it is and i tell you what like when i ran um lucky dip club my subscription box i could tell you how much every single thing costs within that business from like the sticker 
that closed the envelope, you know, the box, you know, the custom sticker that closed the box, like every single cost. It was in a spreadsheet. I would every six months or so, I would just do a quick check-in with all my suppliers. Could I renegotiate what I was spending with them? You know, quickly just look around to see who else is offering what and just really keeping a close eye on my bottom line because you Mm. keep a close eye on your bottom line and that again is just a really good habit to get into as a business owner yeah and we touched a little bit about how retail is changing and people want to hear those stories about the brand owners now but how do you think it will continue changing over the next few years like and how can like a small business owner tap into that and make it work for them I feel as an independent business owner, we're in quite a powerful position with that, actually. And I think it's something that the high street and the supermarkets are quite jealous of because they can't do that. We can. We're the creators of what we're doing. So to make it easy, build it into your daily routine, into what you're doing. Like social media for me is where I get my emotional connection with my audience, with my customers. So I talk about what I'm doing as it's happening. I don't have a big complicated content plan. Um, My brain doesn't work that way. I know for some people it really works for them. But for me, if I've got something to say, I'll share it. So it's Mm. like my story unfolds day by day because I'm talking about what I'm doing. So what, for example, if I listen to a podcast, have I read a book? Have I come up with a idea for a product? Have I had a good conversation with a customer? Did someone DM me and tell me about a product I made? You know what I mean? Like literally those little incidental things that happen in your everyday, that's what you share, the real stuff. And you know Mm. what, when the roller coaster dips and you're not having a great time, you can be vulnerable. You can talk about that, but you can also say, you know, this is, this happened last week I wasn't having a great time for whatever reason and what I've learned is I'm going to try this or maybe you haven't learned anything from it but you're gonna try and do something different so Mm. it's that thing isn't it like um having a level of honesty and transparency about what's going on in your business that's what we can do as independent business owners and for those of us that are willing to step into that space I feel that that's how you're going to build up a connection with not just customers, not just end users, but also, you know, journalists, influencers, buyers, all the other people in our worlds that like what we do. It's Mm -hmm. when they hear those little stories and it resonates with them when they, when someone feels, Oh my God, I feel that too. And I didn't (laughs) think I could say it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I'm talking about. And, you know, it might not happen every day, but, you know, and maybe if something doesn't happen one day, then don't post anything on social media. It's not like everyone's going to forget about you. So for me... They won't notice that you haven't posted. No, I think it's, it's the same thing as I was talking about earlier. It's about relaxing into the journey and allowing it to happen. And I know... This isn't about not having goals and not being intentional, but also it's a hard one, really. But seeing it as a marathon and not a sprint, seeing it as you're building a long term, sustainable business. You're not here to crash and burn. You're not here for hacks and quick fixes. You're here to figure out what works for you, to share as you go, because don't burden yourself with loads of stuff in your business that Mm. you feel you can't talk about, because actually, in modern marketing it's talking about those very things that we feel we can't talk about (laughs) that actually resonates yeah and I love those bits like you know we're moving away from super polished feeds and only showing the highlights of our lives and I love that I like seeing the behind the scenes. I feel like privileged to see the behind the scenes. Yeah, and that's a lovely way of looking at it, isn't it? It's like to opening up and being a real person. And like, again, that's our, that's the magic. You are your, the superpower of your business. 
you have your own set of feelings, emotions, experiences, all of that stuff that makes up what, why you do what you do, what you do. And really, you know, if you're sat there and you're like, oh, but I really don't know what to say. Like, just take yourself through steps of storytelling, which is what, why, where, how, when. But the five, the six, I've missed one. <laughs> but taking yourself through those, like just writing them down on a bit of paper will really help you take one of them and continue writing about what's happened in your day or what you want to share. And, you know, it's that thing that I'm not a writer. I'm not a photographer. I wasn't even a jewelry maker when I had a jewelry business. <laughs> you know, this is about yeah. creativity and I don't think you can get creativity right or wrong. And it's about individuality. You are who you are. So, you know, it's go out there and be unapologetically you I think the one I don't know about you but the one stories that get the most kind of dms and replies to they're usually the most awkward ones I do like if I'm on the tube and I just remembered something that I wanted to share or like like this really not very well thought through posts are generally the ones that get the most reaction I love that I love being in the moment and sharing something because I'm feeling it at that moment. That's the freedom that social media gives us. And it is a powerful, powerful marketing tool. And that's what you cannot do in big business. When mm. you want to run everything past a marketing <laughs> team, run yeah. up to the CEO. They literally, it's sluggish, you know? It's like they can't respond like that. We're agile. We, we, can, we can post in the moment. So again, if you feel it and you want to say it, say it. What's the worst that can happen? You can yeah. it, you know. <laughs> I think that's the shame, like, you know, the shame with, like, not shame, but, like, the tricky bit with bigger businesses. Because, for example, for this podcast, I have invited kind of bigger buyers that I worked with in the past. But most of them, it has to go through their PR team. Yeah, and absolutely. that's where it ends up stopping because they don't want people to go on a small podcast and share about their day to day because they they don't have that much you know they want to have that control I guess yeah yeah uh, which I think is a shame because I find it fascinating you know I think people find it really interesting and connect more with that business so I guess that's where for you Therese it's like consistency and persistence because yeah even if that one buyer has turned you down <laughs> they might move and be a buyer for someone else so yeah. actually you know like you know all these people in the industry and so I guess it's just every so often checking in with them and you know at some stage bagging them <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it it is that, and it's it's amazing actually. Which who you, you realize who is actually up for things like that, and yeah, I've realized how even if they're not on the podcast yet, I've realized who's more supportive or in the background yeah, of wow. smaller businesses, which is really interesting. Cool. <laughs> but anyway, um. I ask a question in the end of each podcast and this year I'm ch well this season I'm changing it a little bit I used to ask for three things but it was a bit much <laughs> so I'm now asking to please share a business it can be a brand a maker a retailer anyone that you are thinking are getting it right at the moment that you think is doing something that you admire Oh, how do I choose just one, Therese? <laughs> I was going to say, this that, is probably hard for you. <laughs> this is so hard. I, do you know what? I work with so many independent business owners, freelancers, um, a really wide variety of people. And, you know, I feel like also it's not for me to say who's getting it right. Like, I feel like one of the key messages that I'm really trying to um, kind of figure out with people is to move beyond what we think is right or wrong and actually to embrace individual creative flair because that's how you do something different do you know what I mean so yeah. I feel like I feel like I would be going against one of my values or maybe something that 
someone that is doing something that you are connecting with. Ah, okay. So, like, you know, I, for example, I really connect with retailers at the moment that are thinking a little bit more sustainably. Right. For example. But, you know, something that um, just deserves to be highlighted, I guess. Yeah, I, you, yeah. you know, well, that well, sort of thing was what, what probably, you know, what I was thinking. Yeah, along the lines no, with. I really love that. So, so something that... um a strategy that I'm really connecting with at the moment are people that are looking at different revenue streams for their businesses. So say um, they're a designer maker or they're a product-based business in some way, but they're actually looking at other ways to generate income to build a business. And so I guess that maybe kind of comes under the banner of being a uh, multi-hyphen business, because I feel like, for me, I've, I've had a real variety of businesses over the years. And really, for a long time, my self-talk around that was that I didn't know what I was doing because I couldn't concentrate on one thing. When actually, what I've learned is that that is what we can do now in modern life, is that we can, um, it's not about doing one thing all the time. So I'm really loving people like Zabby Allen, for instance who Mm. was a patch and pin maker. And then she discovered um, through a time tracking app how much time she was spending online, five hours a day. And she was feeling like she couldn't get all of her work done. So that's when she created the procrastination paper, which is a subscription. Love that. So what I love about that is I, I love that as an independent creative business, we can embrace what lights us up. And it doesn't have to sit within a box of what we think a business should do. So for me, that makes me feel really connected to being someone's audience that is doing stuff because it's unfolding in their life and it means something to them. That's great. And I think that that is something that more and more people you see that I follow do it they are doing that and I think that's so great yeah I think this is this can this gonna be massive going into the next decade like like let's not hem ourselves in anymore you know let's really let's embrace that freedom that that the independent business world can give us and it's not about you know I know that there's a lot of kind of like niching down talk and I still feel you can niche down, but it's more niching around your values rather mm. than niching down around a specific type of business. So I feel that that shift is one that really excites me. And um, I love working with people that bring their work into the world because it means something to them. And I think, yeah, I, I'm, I hope that you're right. I think that that is what's going to be really big next year. Yeah. um so i where can people find you then if they you know i'm sure most people know but where do you where do people find and connect with you so um instagram is my main hangout um which is indie underscore roller so annoying when you've got to get the underscore right i have two underscores (laughs) (laughs) so Um, annoying (laughs) so um love story um love i do um i'll be doing a q a once a week on igtv really embracing that platform also have a website indieroller.com um and the kickstarter has a couple of days to go so if you come and find me on my website or instagram i'm sure i'll be talking about it a lot over the next couple of days (laughs) and i'll i'll pop the link in the show notes as well thank you therese and uh i actually um I wasn't sure if I was going to do this in the outro or what, but I um I got an extra copy of the book and the Kickstarter, and you can win it if you're listening. So all you have to do is go in and reshare this podcast and tag me. And if you want an extra entry, you can review the podcast and send me a screenshot. And I'm really excited because I really wanted to share this with someone. And I, it was just a thought. What are those thoughts? I, I emailed you on the way from recording another podcast and thinking, oh, I would love to give away something. I would want someone else to be able to kind of take advantage of, not take advantage, to be involved, get involved. So 
there's one copy to be won. Yay! <laughs> Thanks, Tariq. <laughs> but it's closing before midday 30th of September because that way I can announce the winner and if you didn't win, you can still go and pledge. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Tariq. Your support has been amazing. Thank you very much for coming on the show and I really look forward to next year. Yeah, roll on 2020, the decade of the indie. I am convinced of it. Brilliant. Thank you so much. Thanks, Therese. Bye, everyone. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Leona. And thank you to all of you listening. Remember to enter the giveaway before midday on the 30th of October for your chance to win Leona's book, and the annual membership. All you have to do is share where you're tuning in over on Instagram and remember to add small underscore business underscore collaborative. Therese will be back next week to talk shop with two candle makers and shop owners. Until then, she hopes you have a really good week and remember, if you feel like you can't do something, remember to ask for help. Without it, this episode would not have gone live today, so it seems extra important to point this out. Have a great week.